Welcome to First Generation Burden, a podcast dedicated to immigrants in the creative community. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. Today we have a special episode. We're talking to Danica Tan Lejeune, an animator and director who just won both the ADC Young Guns and the Colorful Grant with the One Club. The Colorful One uh, is the one I co-founded, so it's super special today. Uh, We talk about uh, Danica's upbringing in Singapore and how she found her creative voice through challenging work environments and how she ended up making music videos with art department as her main medium. Also, uh, why it's important to find community where you are. It's all its all great conversation. And also, I'm a huge fan of her work. So we get into her process and how she makes with a team. And she just got her driver's license uh, a few months ago after living in LA for the past few years. So we find out how that's going. This is a fun one. I can't wait for y'all to check it out. Here's our conversation with Danica Tan Lejeune. Welcome to First Generation Burden, uh, Danica Tan Lejeune. I am so excited about this conversation right now uh, because, well, one, I, I think you're an amazing artist, animator, director, big fan of your work. And also you were the winner of the Colorful Grant this year. Yeah. So, yeah, so congrats to you. And also you're a winner of Young Guns this year with the with the ADC. So you did the the rare to win hat trick with the one club congrats thank you so much i'm really honored thank you to you and uh, the jury for picking my work i was honestly in disbelief still i'm in disbelief but yeah oh really it's such an amazing feeling yeah it's funny because from the jury side and i judge colorful and also i know people that were on the young guns jury i don't think that's even gone out public this will have released by the time that's gone out public um but i'm not revealing new news right no, you're not. You're okay. Not. Okay. Yeah. Good. But it's uh, just but- like such a such a strange feeling to because it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago that I was still in school. I guess like I graduated 2018, May 2018, and like that was maybe like what almost three four years ago. But it felt so surreal to be like, you know, look at the people who win Young Guns and think like, oh, that's that's far far away. But then to actually have it to actually see myself on the site this year was is, is insane but yeah it's surreal i'm sure for everyone that wins and i felt that feeling too many 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 years ago that it's it's a bit of a game changer life changer but we're jumping a bit far ahead mm-hmm. um i would love to ask you uh to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from and then let's just just start on that journey for sure so um, my name is Danica um, I was born in Singapore and I grew up most of my life in Singapore and I moved to the states when uh, I was I think I, tur- I was turning 21 um, in 2016 and uh, I transferred to the school of visual arts as a junior um, from uh, from Singapore because I went to a design school in Singapore called Tomasic Polytechnic and then I graduated and I started working as a branding designer for about a year and then um got my credits transferred to School of Visual Arts and entered as a junior. Um, and then I graduated from School of Visual Arts in 2018 um, and worked for a little bit in New York before moving to LA uh, because a lot of the production studios that I liked were based in LA. And so I got a job in LA, knowing nothing about LA and moved to LA. <laughs> and I've been here ever since. So yeah, that's me. I saw that you worked at MTV for a little bit. I didn't realize that about your history because I was there. At, in yes. 2018 i'm like did we ever interact i feel like i saw you from afar um but we never worked directly together i was working with um timothy Lewis. oh yeah tim my tim, tim yes. is my guy i <laughs> love 
Tim. He's he's a dear friend. Yeah. Yes, he's really sweet. He was really great. Um, but I I think MTV was like my first at a real official job straight out of graduation. Um, and I I think I uh, was very overwhelmed and slightly burnt out from being in New York for so long. Oh my gosh. And, and MTV is like in the heart of Times Square. And um, I think the content that uh, I was working on there was, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. So um, I actually got burnt out so quick. I'm not going to lie. I was like a week, I'm going to be so honest, a week into MTV, I was already I, I want hunting. honesty. It's all I want. That's all <laughs> yes. I want, honesty. <laughs> and like literally a week into MTV, I was already job hunting. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> so I started looking for other jobs like so quickly, but I still did my best. I did, you know, all the work that Tim wanted me to do. I did it as well as I could. And then totally. um, at the end of my three months uh, contract with them, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm sorry guys, but I'm going to leave. You know, yeah. honestly, it's tough. It, it, the reason it's tough, and I thought about this, I was there for almost five years, and I still love those people. I, I love those people. I, I still have relationships with them, mm-hmm. also professionally, because they're now my clients in a few different ways, which is interesting. Um, it's a very specific workflow, very specific pipeline, but there's such a need, I think, from an industry perspective for motion design. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that that's one of the, the reasons why it's so hard to find really amazing motion designers and animators because they they're all like all the great ones are snatched up like immediately right mm-hmm. um and it's, it's if you're on that side of the business it's actually pretty easy to move around like when people realize you have talent but it it can be tough and it's i, I think out when you're fresh out of school i can see it being overwhelming you really have to have a lot of armor and be willing to throw elbows yeah yeah and um i think the environment was uh w- i feel was not for me like that's it was it was quite corporate and as you're saying like you need to have like a certain attitude about it and i think like yeah i realized super very corporate. quickly that it wasn't for me yeah i think yeah. because like uh oh, also at the same time i was um i was working very closely with the art camp guys i don't know if you've met them santiago and hose no so, i know i know the art camp like work and the art camp yeah. profile so that I I was actually their first intern in 26, I think it was like 2016, 2017. I was literally their, their first intern. It was me and the two founders, Santiago and Hose, and um, another friend of mine called Eugene. We were their first interns. It was just us, four of us in their apartment in Brooklyn. Like literally, I, I did their branding. I worked with them to do their branding, did their website. Wow. Um, and then they were the ones that gave me my first few like music video gigs uh, as an yeah. intern. They taught me how to edit. They really like built my foundation. And it was so like, um, it was a very unconventional way of working and being mentored. And um, it was like in complete contrast to MTV, right? Like it's super right. intimate and very small. And so I think that yeah. was what I was more drawn to after having both sides of like the coin, experiencing both sides of the coin. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where I ended up when once I moved to LA, actually, because I got um, a job at Prologue, which was this um, this production studio in LA that I adored. Um it was it was known for being a bit of a difficult place to work in, but their work is all amazing. <laughs> and I was kind of like, you know, when you're a student or when you're kind of still fresh, you're like, I don't care. I'm just gonna throw myself into it and experience it. Um, and and maybe I'll come up better, which is what I did. And uh, yeah, it was a really good experience actually. I was there for about a year and a half, I think. Yeah. But that's why I moved to LA. Oh wow, wild. Wait, so I, I wanted to backtrack just a little bit. And growing up in Singapore. I want to hear what that was like. And also what was your, what was your creative 
upbringing like in Singapore? And did you always feel that you were destined to move? Yes. So, okay, I'll, I'll answer that in three parts. So growing up in Singapore is um, quite unique, I think, because Singapore is so small and yeah. it developed incredibly quickly. I believe Singapore is only 57 years old. Um, so it, it rapidly progressed from like my parents' era to how it is right now. It's like a this crazy metropolitan city. Yeah. What did your parents, parents do? Um, my parents, oh, my dad is a harbor pilot or he was, they're both retired right now. They retired at the height of the pandemic. Um, but my dad is a harbor, was a harbor pilot. And my mom was like, she's like a secretary. She was it's super, super like working class, humble um, careers and backgrounds. Um, but they grew up in Singapore when Singapore is just a fishing village. So my mom and my mom and dad were incredibly poor. Like um, I remember my mom would tell me stories about how uh, all her underwear was sewn by her grandmother and hand-me-downs. And how they would like, um, sometimes they literally had no food that she would go and fish uh, in the stream behind her house. And like, wow. if she caught fish, her grandmother would be so happy. It was the only time her grandmother called her a smart girl if she brought food home, stuff like that. And my dad um, also grew up very poor. He lived in like a one bedroom apartment, which is incredibly small in Singapore size uh, with his family of like eight people. Um, and his 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 grand his mother my grandmother like grew up taking care of babies uh, as a living. So he, he would go home and my dad was like my dad's like the baby's man. He knows how to take care of babies more than anyone else. Um, yeah, he's he's a, he's like not the stereotypical Chinese man for sure. He's um, a baby's he, man. I don't think I've ever yes. heard that term before. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start saying that now. He's a, he's baby's, a baby's man. man. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that's kind kind of how he wrote my mom too. Because my mom like my mom was like you know. My mom was quite attractive back in the day and a lot of my, Singapore is so small, so a lot of guys like in the area wanted to like marry her. So my dad actually invited her back to his place because his mom was taking care of like a pair of twin babies. And he was like, hey, you want to see a pair of twin babies? They're really cute. And my mom was like, yeah, sure. They brought him back, brought her Whoa. back. Yeah, what, what her game? Her the babies. I know. And like he Amazing started changing game. the diapers for the babies. And, and she was like, oh my God, this guy's really attractive. He knows how to take care of babies. But yeah, that's how you got my mom. <laughs> Um, but yes. I love that story. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my parents. Um, and so Singapore progressed very quickly as they were growing up and, um, you know, the economy really developed. And so they also managed to um, accumulate a good amount of savings in their, in their time, they could still buy a house. So they bought a house that became like, you know, their main um, source for their retirement fund, sold it, we downgraded. And so now they're in a very comfortable place. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the upbringing for my for my parents at least. But I experienced a really good side of it because I could I grew up in a place where where you know they made sure that I was well taken care of. I grew up in a, in a house with a garden. You know they made sure that um, I was well educated. They were very hardcore about me having a, a good foundation of English because to yeah. them that was the way to succeed. Yeah. Um, is there a British school system in Singapore? Yes. Yes. So Singapore is a British colony. Um, you know, we go through the GCO levels. Everything is kind of kind of has that um colonial system going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's 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 good and bad, but I feel like a lot of the um a lot of the cultural side of things have kind of been erased. So like the dialects. So my right. um my my father's side speaks Cantonese, and his dad's from Hainan Dao, which is Hainan Island in China. And my mom, um. You know, my grandparents, their ancestors were from China as well, and they speak the Teochew dialect. And I do not know how to speak Teochew or Cantonese at all. I can 
understand it, listening to it, but I can't speak it. And so like, you know, my generation onwards, I don't think anyone really knows how to speak those dialects. And mm. it's really sad because I think it's slowly dying out. The same way like food in Singapore, I feel all the hawker centers were known for having these hawker centers and it's yeah. all these like family businesses, but slowly one by one, you know, the kids like my age, they don't want to take on those businesses. So the recipes yeah. kind of die out and the restaurants also die out. And so it's a little bit, it's a bit of a pickle that we're in where we're trying to preserve the culture, but no one, my generation really wants to take on that quote unquote burden. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, but growing up in Singapore itself, it's kind of like a bit of a small, it's a small town vibe. You know, if you, it's, it's, um, I feel like you're built, I'll try to be politically correct about this, but you're kind of raised in a system where you're not taught to question it. Like I didn't really develop crucial, like thinking a critical thing. So I didn't really develop critical thinking until I moved to America, um, which is really bizarre saying that to probably in, um, to, to Americans, but, uh, yeah, yeah no, that's, of- that's not bizarre at all. It, it, it's, I mean, I'm Filipino and mm-hmm. like in the Philippines and, you know, there's a similar conundrum where they were colonized by colonized by, by Spaniards many, mm-hmm. like a while, long time ago. And, um, a, a lot of dialects were essentially erased and Tagalog is essentially a derivative or like deeply connected to Spanish, so like and like the and the 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 Christian and and Catholicism have really kind of changed the the nature of the course of history for that nation very specifically, and I don't think that there is a, or at least it doesn't seem like to me a desire internally in that nation back home to reclaim their indigenous roots. Mm-hmm. So it's because it's almost so far back. And there's like a, a disconnect between those that live in the cities versus those that live, um, you know, more in the in in the farms, right? You know, so it's, it, yeah, it's, I think like for me, I want to reclaim my indigenous roots in some way and feel closer, but I don't know if that's a unique American thought, and I don't think that even exists back there, really. Got you know you. what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. think that's so really it's, interesting. Yeah, it's a different. I, I it's like. It sounds like in Singapore that the generational desire is like very close. You, you know, it's like it's like one or two generations separated. It feels like mm-hmm. in the Philippines, yeah. it's like many ge- a few generations separated. I feel you. It's already it's it's, it's really stretched so thin that it's so hard yeah. to go back and like even have you can't a go back. Yeah. sharp and mental image of it because it's kind of hazy already, and that's really that's really unfortunate. Yeah, um, like uh, for Indigenous Peoples Day, I'm like, yo. I'm celebrating um, that we got Magellan, <laughs> you know, oh, mm-hmm. you, you celebrate a different thing, you know, but anyway, so Singapore, like, what, how, how do you do? Do you feel that there's a uh, uh, do, do you want that to be able to, you know, kind of reclaim what was once there? Or did you come to a different um, realization about it? I think part of me wants to reclaim what was once there. Um, so, like, I'm actually putting in a lot of effort to try and um collect my the stories of my mother and father and also be um be a little bit more uh be a little bit more aware of my capabilities of what I can actually understand what I can learn and pick up on and what what I'm able to do so like I think in terms of mastering the language I honestly don't think I can do so um but I think I can definitely like try and learn and understand and I'm honestly I think write more because I'm trying to like actually 
document a lot of things so that I can remember it. Also, my grandmother yeah. on my dad's side, I only have one living grandmother left on my dad's side, and she yeah. has like really, really bad dementia. So, like, also witnessing kind of, you know, her slowly losing her sense of identity and that sense of powerlessness mm. that everyone in the family is kind of feeling uh, was really grounding, kind of awoke something in me that, you know, it's every, all the stories that I need to kind of hear. I just need to start noting them down and like making an effort to dig them up because my parents, they don't really have the, the, the thing. I think when it comes back to like the creative upbringing that I grew up in, my parents never really had the luxury of being creative. Like yeah. they, it was all about, you know, how do we survive? How do we make money? Like they didn't grow up having dreams, you know, whereas our generation or my generation, I feel like it's, we have that privilege of like having a dream and then working towards that dream. Whereas, yeah. you know, it was really purely survival for my parents. It was all about what's the job that's going to make us the most money so that we don't have to be poor anymore and take care of our parents. Um, How did your but, parents respond to your creative ambition? Ooh, my mom. <laughs> so I think I started having creative ambitions when I was like pretty young. Uh, I would tell my mom, I want to be a writer. I want to be a painter. I want to like, you know, I want to be a makeup artist. I want to be a tattooist. And my mom was like, hell no. <laughs> do you have tattoos? I do. I do have a lot of tattoos. But, but you um, didn't get them in Singapore, did you? I get them. I got them in Singapore. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I got like half of them in Singapore and half of them here. But um, my mom was like, if you ever get tattoos, I'm going to cough your skin off. And I was like, I already had a full back tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my mom was like super, super. She's actually very Catholic and very... Um, conservative but my dad is the opposite very liberal and very chill um but yeah they my mom had her reaction was always like what what are you gonna eat like are you gonna feed yourself with air like all the things you want to do aren't gonna make you money girl and I'm like as a kid you're like <laughs> oh just having my my dreams stomped on you know yeah. um but that's why I think I think that's why they um they kind of let me figure it out on my own to a certain extent because my grandparents on my mom's side got really sick when I was 14 or 15 and my parents kind of stopped putting pressure on me and just kind of like left me to do my own thing because they had to take care of her parents um, and I think because of that I kind of figured out myself how to come up with um, a, a game plan yeah. that would take care of their of their of their quote-unquote like requirements in mind so I ended up going uh, ended up trying to apply or ended up like applying to uh design school which yeah. was what I went to in Tomasic Poly because to me it's like oh, okay you know I branding marketing advertising like that realm can make money my mom should be cool with that and I can do art so that's what I ended up uh, going into it was a very like practical way of thinking yeah but, yeah it was well it's fun funny hearing you talk about you know practical way of thinking and also I'm um, kind of speaking about it in that um survival of sense because i i look at your work and i think wow the, you know your work is so illustrative and has a bit of melancholy to it and also there's whimsy to it there's like a real attitude about it and also um seeing the when i read these descriptions about how your videos have been made and i'm thinking specifically with <laughs> ride or die and mariana trench by bright eyes it's like four thousand hand-drawn frames or two thousand hand-drawn frames like what what is your approach to or attitude about that type of quantity? It seems like you can get a lot of stuff done fairly quickly, but was was it always like that? No, I feel like it wasn't done. I think it was only done fairly quickly because those projects were done with like such amazing teams of people. And honestly, I have to credit um, Art Camp for bringing together so many, especially for Bright Eyes, bringing together um such an amazing uh team of illustrators and painters who were able to 
do it so quickly because my it. responsibility for a lot of those was um the uh art direction and for the 3d the 3d world so yep. all those every all of those were built for a bright eyes was like 75 percent 80 percent 3d um renders and then for bright right or die was like all 3d it was like we really pushed wait it. so the mariana trench video which looks mm -hmm. so and, and for those for the listener if you haven't seen it it's extremely painterly it's also it feels very it has a very tactile hand done touch so that was all 3d or how was that done was that like paintings so, that were essentially yeah. mapped onto 3d elements like how was that okay. yeah it was it's, it's a whole process so basically it was uh built 80 percent of the of the shots were built in 3d and yeah. then it was um sent to the painters and they have this little small little projector that they project onto their table and then they Got it. they tape their watercolor paper onto there and then they paint over frame by frame yeah so, oh, that, was, so that was it it's almost like rotoscoping Yes, but physical rotoscoping. What physical exactly. physical rotoscoping? Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah. what about the what about ride or die? Was it a similar process for that? Yeah. So ride or die was very actually quite different. Ride or die was all. I mean, I'm sorry to the trees, but it was a lot of printing. It was a lot of like <laughs> we literally print we print out printed out. I think it was like a, it was a very long video. I think we printed out four thousand plus frames possibly. I can't remember, but it was all um, doing a lot of tests. It was me creating the 3D renders. I had a modeler. I, who I really love my, my brought on a bunch of people, a modeler yeah. and a character animator. A whole pipeline. Yes, a whole pipeline. And then um, we, we, you know, did a lot of tests. Um, when the character was being modeled, I would make like a little bit of clothing, just smack it on there, put it onto an environment. And then we would mess around with textures and colors, print it out, give it to my co-director, Danae, who would go over and you know do her thing on it she would like do watercolor or test out acrylics or test out watercolor pencil and it was just this whole experiment um getting as many style frames out as possible to figure out what was going to look best and then doing a motion test so doing like 12 frames and putting them together and seeing how they move stuff like that so it's a very experimental process i won't say it's like super production friendly but because you know it's a music video it's the process of being able to create something special Right. Um, and having the freedom to do so that we really push the boundaries and we can come up with something so cool. Um, yeah. Also, the beginning process of making those music videos were super fun because um, it's very collaborative. We all, you know, um, the people who are mainly like coming up with ideas and directing was me, Danae, uh, for Right That I was Danae included. And then for Bright Eyes was me, Santi, and honestly, the whole team and ho on Hose, we, we would write like these little treatments based on the yeah. brief. And um, JJ, who's an amazing writer, takes all of our treatments and kinds of, kind of puts it into like a cohesive storyline. And that's how we have that as a baseline. And then we built the shots and story from there. But yeah, it's a very unique process. It's not like, um, it's uh, working with Arkham and like we're actually now working with Danae and like I'm directing a music video as well. The process is like ever evolving. There is never a, 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 a fixed pipeline that we stick to because yeah, I, I feel like when, when you work in a more intuitive style and you go towards things that feel good, the end product is, you can never really picture the end product, but it's going to be something special and good. And especially uh, with a very collaborative style, everyone has a voice usually in the team. So if they have a good idea, I would definitely take it in. Yeah. yeah. What's your, what's your end goal? The reason I ask is because the music video is like, they're such an amazing way to like cut your teeth within an industry and like and find production processes that work for you mm -hmm. but also the down and and also that there's a scale like the world can see them like depending on the the artist and also like the the platform that it lives on but also 
that there's all there isn't the most amount of money in music videos like oh, are you yeah, do you eventually hope to go into features like what's what are you looking to do so right now i feel like i'm still developing um my voice or my yeah. um, the, my my narrative style i guess because um i actually would love to delve into narrative filmmaking and i did a short film in in uh, sva i think my first year there and I think because I had just moved to New York, I didn't know any anyone and anything, and I got uh, pulled into this honors course where you had to make a film in a year. I did it, but it make was a film in a year. Yeah, it's, it's called mm. uh, it was Bob Giraldi's The Project. It's an honors course um, where they throw a bunch of design students um, into yeah. into a room, make them write a film, make them uh, pitch it to a producer, make them bring in a whole a whole um was this with gail anderson or is this with uh richard wilde like it was, who was... with richard richard wilde yeah oh yeah it's like one of his last couple of years there probably exactly it was one of his last couple of years um but you, they make you like do all of it within a year so at the end of the year you have a full short film um directed by you but it's very overwhelming and it was slightly traumatizing because uh i didn't have any support system in new york and uh i was so you're like the the only person on the entire crew who doesn't know what they're doing because everyone else is a professional that you bring on and so you're as the director and having no experience it's like whoa <laughs> yeah and i wait how like, does that work so do they who hires the crew who brings them in like how does who's so, who's yeah who who's assembling the world around you so you and the producer are so once you have your script and it's approved by the professor um he he like puts you in a room with a bunch of producers and then he's like, go, go pitch your, your film to the producer, get a producer. So you have to go straight away to your producer and give like a one minute elevator pitch of your film and then they'll decide if they want to take it on. Yeah. And then they are the ones who will kind of pull the strings and be like, this is what you have to do. This is right. you know, who you have to reach out to and what's your budget and stuff. And then you get it done. So that's kind of like the real world. The, the sick part of me kind of <laughs> digs that class. Yes. No, I, I, I thought I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. Like I thought when I went like halfway through it, it was when I was like, OK, this is a lot. But when I first entered, I was like, holy crap, this is why I moved to New York. This is what I'm here for, you know, um, and it was amazing. I would do it all over again. But it was, you know, a lot. It was um, very traumatizing. Like I didn't have the best experience. I don't want to shit talk anyone. But like my DP was kind of you know slightly taking advantage of me, like. Um, doing slightly unprofessional things and like coming to work hungover and it was like you know having to navigate that as a 21 year old when you don't have any experience making a film was very overwhelming right yeah but I learned a lot I learned so much I had the I had the best time just understanding the full process of how to make a live action film but it did push me towards animation because <laughs> oh, I was really? like okay I was like this is this is a lot you know I didn't have the best experience I, I feel like I have a lot of imposter syndrome I don't know what I'm doing I'm going to go into animation where I have like full control over everything I'm my own DP I, I'm my own gaffer I like myself you know like I can choreograph things myself and I will slowly dip my dip my fingers into narrative through animation so that's what I did um, but now that I'm, I'm in a better place mentally, I have a good support system in the U.S., you know, I am slowly dipping my fingers back into um, live action again. So the music video I'm working on right now, it's like, it's a mix of live action and animation. And a yeah. really good friend of mine, Len, who's an amazing director and photographer, um, DP'd for me. And she, you know, we, we created a crew that was so lovely, completely supportive. It was like the best time ever on set. So I really want to have more moments like that. And I've actually been script supervising as well for a couple of short films uh, in my free time. And it's just like learning from other directors and learning what it what it's like to be in a healthy environment on set was right. really defining for me this year. But yeah. 
That's really good. Well, I'm glad that you were able to find like a much healthier environment and also you're thriving in a healthy environment and, put, and putting out work that makes you feel not just, you know, rich and full um, and fulfilled, but also the world gets to see it. That's really awesome. Thanks. Yeah. But I guess going back to the end goal question, I I just want to keep making um, beautiful, meaningful things with good people is, yeah. is honestly my end goal. I don't I don't really have a big like dream project going on right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but bringing people together to push themselves and make things creatively together is really amazing. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the critical thinking thing. Mm -hmm. So you, when you say that the coming to the States or like, I guess the things that you've learned um, here and in the industry, like kind of giving you critical thinking skills, like what, what do you think are those most important skills? Something, the reason I'm asking is because we have a lot of listeners that are students, recent graduates, you know, that uh, probably aren't doing what you're doing, but also are probably trying to assemble a, a toolkit to help to learn and operate in the world. What would you say are those learnings that you've picked up in your in the past few years? For sure, um, I think it is important to protect yourself first and foremost. I think like one of the things that I learned the hard way was um, trying to understand. Uh, what success looked like looked like as a student like you know is it to work at this specific company or be get this specific get to this specific like role at a by a certain point um, and I think I understood very quite quickly um, when after graduating within the next within the, like two or three years I understood that um, there is no playbook to success like you really everyone really has their own unique path um, and uh, as a fresh graduate, especially I feel like as a woman of color and as an immigrant, it's it's very easy uh, for companies to have power over you because of it could be your visa, it could be looking at you as an Asian woman, for example, and knowing that I'm going to work hard and keep my mouth shut, stuff like that. I'm not going to have that sense of entitlement that other people have. Um, yeah, I think it's important to be aware of that and know when you're being... Um, given an opportunity or when you are um, being taken advantage of, you have to know how to navigate those things very quickly. Mm. And I think it's, you know, it's important to have people to tell you how to navigate those things because you're yeah. either going to get burnt and then learn the hard way, or you can, you know, have good friends around you who tell you how to um, get out of those situations. Um, but yeah, in terms of critical thinking, I feel like that's a mixture of critical thinking and experience, but I think I lacked a lot of critical thinking for that. Like, um, I got gaslit a lot working in specific studios. I got, um, you know, uh, it, it was also like a visa immigrant situation, but also being, making, having people tell me like, oh, you know, it's a, it's like a rite of passage. Like everyone goes through this. That's, I. I hate the, oh, it's a rite of passage thing. Cause I mean, if there's ever a way to just like kind of keep uh, persisting like terrible behavior and, and I, I'm not trying to come at it like, oh, I'm an, I'm the old guy in the room, which I'm also like slightly fearful of, like just because, like aging out of an industry too. That's that's something that happens. See when you hit a certain point. I do not yeah. feel that way yeah. about you. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. You, you never really know, to be honest. But I, I, when I was coming up, it was a certain way that I didn't love where I remember I was an intern at, a, at an audio studio. They did a lot of sound design. I did, I interned at two different audio studios and I realized that 
well, when I wanted to be close to the creative industry, I was very, um, I was like, a, I was in the sidebar from where I wanted to be, but I was very close. I was around creative people, just wasn't within the specific lane that I wanted to be in. But I remember there was an ask one day, I was like, hey, Rich, can you come in and uh, come in on a Saturday and we need help cleaning out the studio? What I didn't realize when I came on on a Saturday uh, was that I was going to essentially haul construction trash for like 12 hours oh and God. then get like, 20 bucks for it. And I was like, oh, that's what I just did today. And, you know, I'm a 21, 22 year old thinking like, oh, is this is this the uh, am I paying my dues? Is this the rite of passage part? Like what what is the actual passage? And like it's stuff like that that I just I just personally hate. But also I recognize that there is a need to kind of be I don't know, sometimes you just have to have a, a, a level of experience a stress level in order to overcome it to see like what you can rise above because then if mm-hmm. you're constantly being tested then and you keep passing the test then that makes you better so I, I I'm saying that I I don't love the way the industry is I think the industry can be better and also we have to be tested yeah that wasn't yes. <laughs> that wasn't the fully that wasn't the fullest of thoughts I think yeah I was acknowledging think, and appreciating what you just said. <laughs> thank you. But yes, I, I completely feel, I feel like at the end of the day, what we're trying to tell the students is, you know, you're going to go through some shit when it's yeah. necessary, but, but, you know, like learn from it, you know, don't be like, oh, that yeah. happened. You have to like really go inwards and analyze, like, why did it happen? What could I have done better? What, how can, what can I do right. to protect myself in the future? Like it's all these yeah. things, you know, and yeah. like. And yeah. a, a person's rite of passage doesn't have to be the next person's rite of passage. That exactly. changes all the time. Yes. Yes, agreed. Um, but yeah, so your, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I was gonna say, what's your ideal narrative? Because you're a storyteller. Yeah, what do what do you think is a through line of the stories that you like to tell? Um, oh, I actually was just thinking about this a couple of weeks ago because I was like, hmm, I wonder like what what like in the in the process of trying to form or shape like my quote unquote style or like my the core of what I wanna what I wanna create. I think a lot of it is a lot of it is um nostalgia. Uh, based on nostalgia and um, a lot of it is uh, trying to preserve that part of ourselves that I think all of us are trying to um, cling on to and remember and I and I think it's 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 telling like stories that kind of bring us back to those moments like you know how when you watch a film and when you get to a scene and it just makes you feel the type of way and you start to think about things that you thought you forgot about or brings you back to a moment when you were a child. I think those are the kind of, those are the kind of narratives and storylines I want to, I want to explore. Um, and uh, I think it's, it's going towards like a coming of age um, epistolary yeah. area. Like my, my, one of my biggest um, inspirations this year was Shunji Iwai. He's a Japanese filmmaker and a lot of his films, like, it's a very simple, he explores very simple, not simple actually, he, but he explores like um, stuff like teenage love or like, you know, grief and all these like really, really big themes on their own. But he explores them in a way that's so layered and the characters are able to express how they feel about such heavy topics in a very fluid and light way. And the way he captures it is, um, is really special. So I think there's a there. I think a lot of us are creatives because we're not very good at communicating how we feel sometimes, and so it comes out in different ways. And I think um, wow, that's yeah, a great that's observation. Something. Yeah, that's a great actually, observation. 
I have to credit my friend Jenny for that, who's also a, a Young Gun winner, but she she was the one. We were talking about it and it came up. Um, that was that was a thought that came up when we were talking a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I, I think it's very true that oh, and a lot of times, like we were talking about how we hate about talking about our work. Um, I met a lot, I actually met a lot of female film, filmmakers and creatives this year because of South by Southwest. And um Yeah, I saw that you were out there. Congratulations on all that thank success. You. Like, all the all the press that you're getting is so well deserved. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I really South by was amazing because I met so many uh filmmakers and creatives of color who are women who are in my neighborhood and I had no idea in LA um and and we were all bonding about how we hate talking about our work because it's like we don't know how to we don't know how to actually talk about work which is why we make the work and then when people ask us to talk about it we're like just watch it damn it <laughs> and so we that's how it feels yeah wow we don't know how to talk about the work so we make the work damn that's so interesting so something I like to tell Students, like recent grads, I think it relates to everybody, though, is that you have to to grow in the business. You have to learn how to talk about the values that your work brings to the business. And that if you can, like, that sounds like the markety, selly, bullshitty part. And sometimes I tell designers to, yeah, because designers are sometimes very... Um, you know, they're, they're horse blinders are going to put heads down, like, let, let's, I'm going to stay plugged in. Mm-hmm. But you really have to articulate the why of it all. And... <laughs> I also sometimes tell people like, you know, if it maybe it will help you to have sold cell phones at a T-Mobile for a month or something, (laughs) you just have to like just communicate, use your words. It's so important. No, you're so right. You're right. And it's something that I think um, me and everyone around me who like has doesn't have the best way of talking about their work or hasn't like developed the skill to do it over and over. We're slowly like forcing ourselves to because it's so important. Like there's you can't not do a Q&A like you have to sometimes, you know, like, you have to. Yeah, exactly. You have to do press. You have to do interviews. This mm-hmm. is an interview. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, and not saying that I don't love talking about my work with you. Like I think. Oh yeah, of like, course. No. Yeah. No, like fun. I love talking. I love nerding out. This but is I think this is a therapy session. This isn't even. <laughs> this isn't yeah. even a, yeah. But I yeah. think it's more of the pressure of having like a crowd of people look at you and having them like question like why did you make this decision in your film and I'm just like. <laughs> triggered but yes let's talk yeah. about it yeah i think actually when uh have you watched everything everywhere all at once oh yeah of course i actually partnered with a24 for a couple oh of their social God, you, yeah, i'm sorry yes i forgot yeah. you did the, the posters and they look amazing uh, oh yeah i did yes. uh, i it's so funny <laughs> i did um i saw the film november of last year before it came out because i saw mm. the trailer it was like a week after the trailer had come out and i was like oh this looks really dope and a24 does such dope stuff and then i got a an email from A24 Music about, you know, collaborating on something. And I ended up doing the the, the digital cover album. I did a lot of concepts that were from illustrative to- It looked really cool. Everything. I loved it. Yeah. And it was like one of the- uh, one of the last projects of 2021 where I was like, damn, I'm really going for this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I was, I was really happy with it. Anyway, but amazing film. And uh, I think so iconic for Michelle Yao to, you know, be a superhero again. Totally, for us. yeah. And I'm just like, she finally got the role that she des- she deserves, where she can display everything that she's capable of. Like, right, I love right. her so much. And talk um, about but- generational trauma, talk about like mother-daughter exactly. relationships. It was so, I, I cried every time I watched it. 
Yes, I, I know. Me too. I watched it like three times and I was bawling every single time. But to, uh, the reason why I brought it up is because during South by uh, when they premiered at South by and it was magical in, in the theater watching it and every like, the energy was insane. Um, but the Q&A after I, I hope there's a recording of it on YouTube or something. I would love for you to watch it. But the Q&A that um, happened was amazing like the audience was like going for it they were like oh and like the first question was by this um I think this Ethiopian chick who was like oh you know how did you so succinctly um tell such a story about generational trauma and how do you think it affects the audience and like it was going in and like in, uh um Dan Kwan was like oh that, that's a lot but he managed to like succinctly break down um his process of making the film and how it, it evolved within that one question he talked about how like um oh you know it actually started out um, as a film as just an action film but then it changed and became a film for his mother and he had a he bought a house he had a child when he was making this film and so everything involved and it became a huge love story to his mom um, and you know he talked about mental health how about you know like having like discovering that he had undiagnosed ADHD during the process of this film like you can see how all these things kind of show up in the film and how it has molded the narrative you know the existentialism um right. the nihilism as well like you can see how it came from a very personal place yeah. when he was the nihilism for me it was yeah. the the combination of um like the the personalness but also the nihilism it's so funny like this is the second conversation and uh, we're recording the season like you know in a bunch of chunks this is the second mm-hmm. conversation where nihilism has come out it was like the nihilism in 2022 is real very real yeah right now yeah, I mean, like, does it matter? Does anything matter? Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> exactly, because it's like there's so much awful things going on in the world, right? Like, it's difficult to be like, is what I'm doing this? What I'm, is what I'm doing even like? Does it even matter? Like, the, yeah, like I'm not curing cancer. I'm not like you know changing things politically. I'm not like yeah. saving lives. Like, what is the point? So, and that, it's very easy to fall into that into that um that black hole. But like right. the in the movie, it's like you know at the end of the day, it's just about the moments that we can that we can have right now and the feelings that we have right now. It doesn't matter if it's a spark that's just gonna like go out, but like you know, it's all about taking it one moment at a time and understanding that that that's what matters, you know, and not right. being lost in your head. But yeah, right, right. I feel like the nihilism piece is, um, I think society's reckoning with the self because mm-hmm. I think as as a society we have been so ingrained to kind of roll with what the world is telling us Mm -hmm. and then now we're recognizing that mental health understanding like identity acknowledging identity within like within the within the larger global cultural thought um and also acknowledging you know um, you know audiences within like the macro audience it's like all all that stuff then the nihilism comes out when you ask yourself like well does it even matter what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and sometimes i think creatively um, and I think it actually helps creative to some point because it just makes you a bit braver to just like want to fuck shit up. It's like, why not? Why? Like, why not just go for it? Swing for the fence on this one, because it, at the end of the day, you're right. Not now I'm not curing COVID over here. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I think it was um, what was the director's name? I can't remember. It was a very famous director who was like he was during an interview. He was like, you know, he was so he like he made the most humble sentence he was like you know we're just actors out here making movies we're not curing cancer so don't get don't get over your head about it yeah <laughs> it's just like it, it, it you know from a uh, people in places of power like that when they say things like that it really like snaps you out of your bubble like you know like don't don't overthink it don't don't yeah. be too hard on yourself honestly it's not like, that serious it's, it's not that serious yeah yeah as long as you're totally. healthy as long as you're healthy and like you can be around people you love like it's that's all that matters 
How are you protecting your mental health? What do what, what are you doing to, you know, make sure you're not burning out and, and keeping your head in the game? I'm not in a, I, uh, it's, it, I mean, such a, I've been doing such a bad job uh, at my mental health the past two months. I overloaded myself with work and social events. Um, so I would be such a hypocrite to say that I've been, I have good tips, but like I, I, I was, I was trying my best, um, before September and I was doing a pretty good job, good job at it. I don't think but, it's even um, tips. Like, cause I'm really bad at it too. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, I, I feel you. Um, I think, I think most of us are, um, especially for people like you and me, and honestly, most of my friends, like we're very purpose-driven, we're a bit type A and we like to like make the most out of our day. So if we... I don't like saying no to things. If I know it's going to be a good time or if I know I'm going to, you know, it's going to add to my productivity, I, I suck at saying uh, no to it. But I think one thing that I've been trying to do, and I also learned this from therapy a while back, is I need to do something for myself on my own at least once a day. So be it like take a walk alone. And I think it's very important for me personally, just for me to do things alone, because then I get out of my head. Um, I, I'm, I'm not distracted by other voices around me. Um, so I, I, you know, I like a month ago before I was overloaded with work, I would like drive to the beach because thank God I live on the West side. I can drive to the beach and I just sit and watch the sunset alone for like an hour or 30 minutes if I can afford to, or I like take a walk or I go longboard. Um, I go to the gym. I haven't been to the gym in two months. I'm sorry, but yes, <laughs> go to the gym for like 30 minutes, just sweat it out. So like little things like that. I think everyone has a thing that they would do. Like some people would crochet, some people would like, you know, sketch, but like, I think yeah. if you do something for yourself, at least like half an hour or an hour a day, just for yourself, not for anyone else, that really helps. Yeah. If you had a preferred, a preferred mode of creativity, what would it be? preferred mode of creativity like writing drawing like like where it's not necessarily analog but just you by yourself without I the team think I think I'm I'm a literary uh thinker uh, slash creator so I always write first before the visuals come so I think my motive my mode would be writing for sure uh what movies are you watching right now I'm very curious to know like what 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 do you like to consume to inspire yourself Oof. So well, I just watched Triangle of Sadness, um, which I heavily recommend. Um, it was, uh, it's part of, I think it was part of uh, the cons list this year, but it's amazing. Very well done, especially for the budget. Um, it, it's, it's starring uh, Woody Harrelson and a bunch of, uh, I think they're not super well-known actors, but they're amazing. And it, it touches on capitalism and the bourgeoisie and classism uh, yeah. touches on what happens when um, humanity is given power. Uh, and oh, it's so absurd. It is so absurd. It like falls into almost like the level of absurdism is like close to everything everywhere all at once. But, oh, really? but nowhere they in the same tone at all. It's so layered and it's very smart. Um, yeah. Honestly, like if I could, I would, I would definitely be rewatching it with subtitles because there's so much dialogue and like my Asian ear sometimes just can't catch the American accents <laughs> that well. I need my subtitles, but like it was really, really well done. Um, yeah, phenomenal. You have to watch it. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but you have to go watch it. And one of the, oh my God, yes, of course I have to tell you, one of like the main characters, like the, the character is Filipino. Oh, word! She's, Who's that? She's, oh. she's amazing. Um, her name is uh Dolly something. Really? If you search Triangle of Sadness, we see her. Yeah, she like she killed it. She killed it so hard. She was amazing. 
I'm pretty sure she's Filipino, but like the, the accent she was using was Filipino, but she might, might not, might not be Filipino, but she was definitely having that profile of being a Filipino um, uh, service worker. But yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, gotcha. Oh, so she was a OFC, right? That's the acronym. I think, I oh, it's so. an overseas worker for sure. Like yes, that. an overseas worker, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the staff on the ship. Um, but yeah. That's so interesting. Cause that, that's a, um, that's something that is ever rarely acknowledged. <laughs> in the world the overseas worker so yeah because yeah. for yeah for the listener i think for a, a lot of southeast asia there's there, there's a bit of a a bit of a brain drain problem happening in southeast asia and asia in general um that also like le- you know a lot of lawyers doctors engineer types leave for countries where there are more wealth-based opportunities which i mm-hmm. totally hey i'm a byproduct of that as well you know um, but that kind of leaves the the homeland a bit scarce on occasion. And also yeah, there's just much more uh, um, like less glamorous jobs that are just more like the survival function. Like mm-hmm. I remember my um, yeah, my my parents, when they left the Philippines, they had to send money back home to their huge families. My mom was like the oldest of 10. Dad was like the youngest of nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't make any money for years, even though they had these good jobs. It's crazy. Yeah, the the responsibilities, the duties. Um, yeah, family back then and now. But yeah, I. Yeah. 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 I think it would be difficult in this economy for like our generation or maybe my generation. It'll be it's difficult to um, comprehend having to support a family like that right now because of you know how difficult it is to accumulate wealth i feel as being yes. like you know being working class or even lower than working class it's like it's a, it's i cannot fathom like i cannot fathom having to support more than my parents i cannot fathom having a kids i cannot fathom sending kids to school like i really can't yo me too <laughs> me too <actually>. yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a difficult um bar- a mental barrier i think to to cross it is and like yeah. it's, it sucks to say but it's really like a lot of it is the financial aspect like it is it is, it is the disparity man is insane right now and um i think my the thing is i think that i'm fortunate enough to have parents who understand that and there are other of my friend uh, my, they're friends of mine who are like their parents are still like you need to have kids you know we want you to give us pocket money and blah blah, blah. and my and like, I don't, I don't have that. I'm so privileged because my parents are like, we understand, like, it's hard for you in this generation right. to even own a house. It's not possible, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, what is your, uh, what are you thinking about doing in the next five years? Are you going to do films, full full length features? Not features. No, I don't think I'm jumping that far yet. I think I'm like still, I, I think I, um, I still have a lot to learn. I think I'm going to be writing a lot. I, I would love to make a short or two. Yeah. Um. I would love to really start um building on the the content. I not content, but like what I current what I already have accumulated. Like I want to really have conversations conversations with my mom and dad because I think um the first short that I want to make definitely is going to be circled around them, um, and their stories because I feel like their stories are really a generation that's disappearing very quickly in Singapore. Like in you know it's it's fading so quickly and to me it doesn't feel like it's fading but it really is when I go back every time I go back home and I talk to people and I see my country I'm like wow like there's even for me like my childhood like these places are people are vanishing so rapidly and it's very scary um were you super rebellious would would you have been considered super rebellious in Singapore yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I was quite rebellious but it's I think it's also because my parents 
like held onto me so tightly and like i i think like the tired that's an asian parent child, thing though yes they didn't do that with my sister though but the first time oh. they did it with me i think my sister is like the the like shining golden child like super smart like was reading do you know what readers digest is she was reading like this yeah she was reading readers digest at three years old like girl is gifted and smart academically like she is like on, in a government job and i'm like completely different yeah you had to tie me down so that i would do my homework that's hilarious uh what do your parents think about all your success now i mean like again congrats on young guns colorful like all the press is south by southwest your your seo your seo is great right now you're hitting the algorithm (laughs) (laughs) my seo yeah um uh thank you so much um i think my parents still don't really know what i do uh, yeah neither do mine my yeah no idea <laughs> yeah but uh you know they they know that I'm winning stuff they know that um they know that like a couple of my works have been in theaters and they're like oh my god big screen yay like they understand that um but yeah I think they're just happy that I'm happy they're happy that I can uh live comfortably and that obviously my mom is like my mom is still like what are you working on right? a music video but it's not getting you money why are you doing it she still has that mentality and I'm just like ma it's not about the money um, I'm, I'm, I'm earning enough to pay rent. I'm happy. I have savings. Like, and I think that's enough for them, but yeah, it's, it's, there's always going to be that fundamental difference between us, which I've made peace with. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to be in November or are you going to be in New York in November to accept the Young Guns Award? I wish I could be. Uh, I, would love to. I would love to hang out with you in person, but no, I'm going to be yeah. in India and go off my best friend's wedding. I saw that. Yeah. I was like, wow, you're going to be in India for a month. That sounds dope. Yeah. Uh, for a week, really. I'm going to be in Singapore. Oh, okay. in India. I'm actually flying to Singapore tomorrow night. But yeah. Whoa. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we could get this interview in before you flip for Singapore. Yeah. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> it'd be like crazy time differential. Yeah. yeah no, I was, I was hoping to to be able to hang out IRL because also there's going to be a wonderful colorful moment as well. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll thank you for virtually oh, and digitally. Shit. Is there going to be a colorful moment as well? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. There was going to be not to, oh, not no. to peer pressure you at all into, you know, being the a shining star on, on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually really wanted to go because then I could hang out with you in person. I could meet um, Santi and like meet all my oh, yeah. New York friends that I really miss actually as well. Um, but yeah, it would be, I actually, I really did genuinely consider doing it. I would be flying from Singapore to New York and then back to Singapore and not leaving the airport and then getting on a plane to Goa. But it like, it would have been like 72 hours on a plane. Um, yeah. Yeah. And but think about the story. <laughs> think about the story. Uh, think about the, the legend of the night. Um, I'll, yeah. <laughs> let me think of, let me think about it. I'm sure it will be an amazing night. Uh, yeah no again no peer pressure but I, I at a different time of my life uh it was oh what what if we could uh what if we just bought tickets to Miami today and just came back tomorrow <laughs> afternoon I remember one time I was in um uh my it, uh, it often comes up a lot with Miami and Vegas but for, I was in Portland like years ago working at Nike and then I wanted to go to Art Basel and it was a point in my life where financially I could do something kind of dumb right I spent so many years like kind of accumulating but also protecting and um I was just like oh, I just want to actually reward myself for <laughs> some good work yeah then, then I remember I just I flew to Miami for 24 hours just to hang out with some friends saw DMX in concert <laughs> and Amazing. then uh yeah and then showed up to work like the next day um <laughs> i basically flew right to nike campus like ba- like from the airport 
And then I did the whole day. I was just like, yo, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's a lot, that's a long flight from, from the bottom right of America to the upper left yeah. of America. Isn't that like eight hours at least? It's something not good. Something not fun. <laughs> You don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I, just, I remember the the energy. I just remember the energy and the the making of the good memories. Oh, yeah. You see, now you're enabling me because I really <laughs> was going to do it and just fly for like two nights. And yeah. all my friends here, my freaking support system was like, Danny, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> you're going to regret oh, it. Really? Oh, yeah. see, I and again, I'm not peer pressuring and not anybody. <laughs> And this will be my this will be my last pitch, and then I'll get off of it. I'm gonna okay. if you if you go well one you'll be receiving an award amongst your peers, you'll be receiving two awards with your peers, um, in a great room that will love and support you, and then also you will have an opportunity to, um, you know, to to feel something good that is a that is a reward for a lot of great work and i don't think that and then the only thing that you might regret regret is having slightly less sleep which you will make up for later <laughs> okay, i don't know I'll, yeah. I, will, I will heavily go back to considering it now <laughs> okay i don't know if you're flying to singapore first class but if you're sleeping horizontal i think that makes even more of a case <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm not doing first class, but um, I'm actually really good with long flights, so I would survive the flight. Yeah, yeah. we'll gotcha. see about it. We'll see. I'll let you know. I might write an email later and be like, actually, <laughs> gonna need a complimentary <laughs> ticket. Yeah. Oh, hey, you know what? Um, try to expense it. It's a it's a tax expense. You're it's right. a tax write-off. It is taxable. It, I mean, it is. Yeah, it is an expense. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Anyway, that said. Danica, this one's so much fun. Oh my God. I love yes, talking to of you. Of course. And I like I said, ask you real quick yeah. too, like how how has New York been for you? Because I I, I oh, yeah, let's go for it. Out, but like how 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 have you been feeling in New York so far? Especially like post pandemic. Oh. Yo, well, um, if you don't have a cutoff, I can keep going. Sure. So yeah, yeah, we can keep going for like a uh, little bit. Tim, is that okay? Just a quick time check. Tim, is it okay with you if we keep going for a little bit? Okay, awesome. It's good with it's good with our producer Tim. Tim's been a rock, by the way, for all this. So thanks again, Tim. Aww, um, and uh, oh, how's it been in New York? You know, if I could have done the pandemic again, um, I probably would have moved to Mexico for a year or two or something. Oh I, my gosh. Yeah, because, you know, we did the whole thing where uh, we thought it was going to be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, like mm -hmm. everyone else. And um, I was at at Viacom CBS, now Paramount. So I had I had an office, cleared out the office, um think i but i left stuff there i think it's gonna be two weeks mm -hmm. and then uh yeah just and uh, stayed in the city i mean i'm glad that we stayed in the city because we were close to my family my family was in new jersey but i in retrospect i would have moved or like at least lived in a place that was a bit more open country while there was an opportunity to do it because my energy is very city energy and I grew up in the suburbs of Jersey. Um, and so I like going out, buying socks on the street, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, and you. like, yeah. And like, uh, and just stepping out into, uh, into maybe, um, maybe the Puerto Rican day parades happening today. That's dope. You know, like, I just love that stuff. And uh, yeah. So I, I, I ended up, like still surrounding myself with the energy. Now the city's hitting back a level of normalcy. I mm. though a year ago, I did like 
I really was desperate to find like a social life, social life and also a nightlife. So I was going to um, a bunch of like underground raves. I, nice. end up, I ended up going to a couple of goth raves, which I thought were pretty dope. Amazing. Um, yeah. Just really trying to find surrounding myself with community. I think it was like another type of community. I was also really big into clubhouse for, for a year, just like everyone was just trying to find conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, now it's a lot better. And I'm, and also I'm back agency side too. So the, like it's uh, I'm I'm kind of building up a different or rebuilding the muscles that I hadn't quite used at at MTV and Paramount, which are a bit more political, political mm-hmm. muscles and also um, creative direction muscles that didn't always require me to be in the tools. But now I'm a bit closer to the tools, um, which also is a different it's a bit of a bandwidth concern for me, too. It's like, you know, if you the second you sit down and make the thing you're kind of committing to staying to making the thing mm-hmm. as opposed to you know kind of leading from another side or another angle uh but it's yeah i i don't know i i, I do love the east coast and i love the energy but i think there might be a west coast move down the line come through <laughs> yeah totally yeah. and my brother my brother lives in palm springs so i already got oh, family nice nice yeah um i i honestly will always miss new york and it will always yeah. be tempted to move back like i get what you mean like i'm a singapore growing up in singapore i'm also a city girl so yeah. to me like living in la like having to drive somewhere and not be able to walk somewhere is already like a stretch for me yeah. um but but yeah i i, I feel you what's and your drive what- tolerance you're oh. like oh 20 minutes no 30 minutes no I just got my license Rich I just got my license like five months ago um (laughs) so I don't have a tolerance yet I'm just I have no like I do not understand the difference between 10 miles and 20 miles yet I just like keep going (laughs) did you drive in Singapore no do you know the price of cars in Singapore like it's insane okay let me give you a very very quick like mind blow so in order to own a car in Singapore you have to bid for a piece of paper called the certificate of entitlement and once you bid for that piece of paper, then you can buy a car. And, and the piece of paper this year went up to $100,000. That, that was the... was USD? Uh, SGD. But that, that's like, I would say like 85000 USD. That's how much this piece of paper went for this year. And so to buy like a normal Toyota, let's say in Singapore, without the piece of paper is like $85,000. Wow. That's, that's about like 60,000 USD. So if you add it all up, like a freaking car costs like $160,000 USD at least in Singapore. That is insane. Yeah. And you can only own the car for nine years. After the nine years, you have to get the car scrapped. Why? It's a it's a government government policy. Like they don't want you to own a car. They, I think like the logic, I'm not a car person clearly, but the logic is after nine years, the car isn't like in good condition to be driven on Singapore roads anymore because of the smog or whatever. But yeah, so you can't own a car for more than nine years. And then in yeah. the, the COE also, the that paper only lasts for, I think, like nine years or something as well. And then you have to either pay a fee to renew it or bid again for another piece of paper. Damn. So yeah. it's all public transportation, bikes. Yes. it's a, I mean, my family owned, owned like secondhand cars. Um, I think we had one brand new car before, but it's all like debt, right? So you have to pay it off and you can pay it off, um, but very slowly, but on top of like having to pay for a mortgage and everything, like it's just, it's, un, it's something that you don't necessarily need to have, but yes, our public transport is amazing. We've got great buses, great trains. I like, I never grew up feel even imagining myself driving until I moved to LA. 
like neither huh. of you don't have to drive but yeah so yeah my, 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 i love driving like learning it was scary but now that i know how to drive like i love it it's fun I, it's it's awesome. oh that's good <laughs> yeah i like driving i haven't owned a car in like 10 years i own, i had a car when i was in high school college and um i let go of my car i think it 2006 2006 or 7 maybe i didn't even mm-hmm. own one in oregon like that's how much i, I but i hated being connected to a, a piece of paper the way mm-hmm. i like to live my life now is like i don't want to be as disconnected or like i want to be the least amount of tethered to something so i don't like the idea of having a car note attached to my name although i'd mm-hmm. like driving and i also i like renting because i don't want to have a mortgage attached to my name although i know that i should own property because um oh and uh, yeah. when it comes to like you know just ac- acquiring assets and generational wealth over time and you know, also something i should do I'm just, <laughs> uh but it's going into like this the adhd of it all is like i just don't have the patience for the paperwork exactly. <laughs> and the time no, I, it takes to do things get you and like it's like a commitment it's like oh when you own something like you just have to like whenever something happens you just have to be there to take care of it and all of that and it's like it's easier for me i love renting because it's it's not your it's it's how do i put this nice it's like it's not your shit to deal with if anything happens that that, that's wrong you know it's the landlord or it's whoever is owning the car for them to to fix it up but not you but yeah but that that responsibility will probably come in time soon owning stuff owning more stuff but yeah Totally. Uh, what kind of car are you driving out there? Just now, I'm just getting really curious. <laughs> I am driving like, dude, my car. I I'm not the kind. I'm not a car person. I do not even. I can't even. I can barely recognize car brands. Um, um I I I spent. I want to spend the least amount of money, have a good engine and four wheels, and that's all I want. So my car was a two thousand dollars Chevy Aveo, secondhand, a <laughs> hundred thousand miles in the autometer. Like it runs great. It gets me places. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> When I was in, I was in Shanghai and obviously, you know, not, not same, not apples to apples. When I was in mm-hmm. Shanghai, there was, I noticed there were Bentleys and Rolls Royces on the street, but, really? it, it, but it wasn't because there's a similar situation where they have to pay to essentially have the license, pay to have the piece of paper. And also, but they were like these, um, uh, they weren't the full on Benzes. They weren't full on, full on like Royces. They were all like smaller than do you know what i mean is it like a, is it specifically because asia i know that asia has like smaller built cars do they build yeah. specifically for shanghai possibly i don't know i don't know oh uh, I, I didn't ask i didn't ask <laughs> because also i didn't um i don't speak cantonese so i was i was very uh limited by my 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 linguistic limitations mm. so i was only asking the very important stuff of um Where's the bathroom? <laughs> and, oh, nice. and how do I get to this place? I wrote all, all everywhere that I had to go for the day on pieces of paper in in, in English and also uh Cantonese. So I could just like here, just like, hey, just hold nice. it up like a, like I was a small child. I was re- I was really close to just like just ta- like stapling addresses onto my on my clothes. <laughs> like that's like, that's this is where I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can you help me get here? <laughs> what were you doing in Shanghai? Was it for work? It was for work. I I was doing a talk. I was giving a talk situation. Um, but awesome. I mean, honestly, the I, I love traveling for work and also for you know for this like, what thing something that's amazing. And you know, like you're in this you're in the same boat. It's like what I love about this industry and this world that we're in that we share is that it can take you around the world if mm-hmm. you're good at what you do, mm-hmm. and that also the qual the work itself can be judged in fairness theoretically, um, uh, uh, with you know with it's it, within its category within its world. I think that they're unfair. Of course, they're unfair 
um, um, evaluations and criteria when it comes to the the people and also the way that the people enter the doors, which I which I hate, I absolutely hate. But I think mm-hmm. the work when it's good can sit equally next to anything. So whenever I fl- flown to Asia in the past few years, fortunately, it's been through like you know giving talks and and you know seeing community. I just I just flew to Seoul. Um, a couple months ago it was my first time in Seoul and you know like that was amazing dude it's uh, special that's really, yeah. that's really amazing that you get to travel and meet communities like that I feel like you've brand you've like built a, a, a brand for yourself so well and like you've made all the right moves to like allow to like allow enough or, of course because you're so talented as well and so good at like you know making connections and all of this like I feel like you've built such a good foundation for yourself to like be you know be like and be like a platform for like other creatives like like people of color and um yeah I think it's amazing yeah. that you're able to do all of this I, 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 it's really inspiring oh thank you so much you know I and I think that you're you're, you're gonna oh god I don't want to sound like I'm like an, the old guy in the room but like you're you're hitting this point too where something I realized was there's a, a, a generosity moment and a generosity moment when you when you realize the world has given you a lot because you know you're actively building, so so the world wants to give you things, and like if the world's giving you things, what can you give back to, in order to inspire others and also just you know feel feel like you're a part of the conversation, also you're informing the conversation from a different angle. And mm-hmm. I think that even for the colorful award, something that I wanted to do with that, um, you know, partnering with the One Club and I and I, this isn't an ad for the colorful award, but we are doing it again next year too. Like it's, I, I, my hope and goal for it was, um, can we eliminate barriers for um, people of color to enter these programs and also enter these awards that cost money? Because when you're a new grad, you don't have a lot of money, especially when mm-hmm. you're under thirty, you don't have a lot of money, and and that's a perceived barrier to entry. But also, can we make a safe space that also has, like honestly more rewards associated with it um and you know we had we had just as many entries for colorful almost as as for young guns this year it was like amazing that's you know? yeah that's that's really cool i didn't know that that's awesome yeah um so congrats yeah. to you for <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it all worked out <laughs> thank you it really no it really did oh like i said like the 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 colorful grant yeah it really it, dude, oh, it ta- helps so much for the music video ta- i honestly. hope the, i hope that the check cleared is all i'm saying oh totally clear it totally okay, cleared good, yeah good, good. it went to my it went to my live action crew i was like thank goodness oh, i really dope. wanted to pay them yeah um but uh sorry i lost my thought but uh but oh, oh i was gonna say that i think like uh what you've done so beautifully as well is that you've created a a, a platform for creators of color to connect because honestly, mm. like it, I don't, I, I think like people have the impression like, oh, you know, it's like if you're living in New York, if you're living in LA, it's going to be so easy to make those connections. It actually isn't. Like, so and, hard. So difficult and like really, really difficult. Um, I don't think I was able to make as many um, creative connections or even like meet people to collaborate with um, in New York out of work. It was only through school and like through, um, you know, interning at art camp and all of that, that I managed to make all these connections. But like out of that, like I didn't, there wasn't really a platform to like connect with like creators from, um, creators from Asia or creators from Southeast yeah. Asia or like, you know, like a black creative community even like it just wasn't that. Um, and yeah. I only managed to make those those connections in LA through South by and they were in my neighborhood, which is bizarre. Like, how can I not know that there are these amazing female filmmakers like right down the street from me? 
um in LA you know so yeah. I feel like there needs to be more more communities like that where people are connected like a really good example honestly is like the longboarding community in LA um everyone just goes down to like Bicknell Avenue by by the beach and like it doesn't matter what level of, of longboarding you're at like everyone yeah. is so kind are and- you by Venice Beach uh, I'm not living by Venice Beach. I'm living near near to Playa Beach, but um, uh, I'm not that far from Venice. Maybe it's like a 20, 15 minute drive. Yeah. Uh, Bicknell Hill. That's like Z-Boys, like Dogtown Z-Boys. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, the, the, the spot, right? Everyone goes there to learn for the first time. Everyone goes there to do tricks. Like all the pros go and meet there like um, on Tuesdays, Saturdays, Sundays. So like, you know, I'm only just, le- I'm only just trying to learn dancing on uh, longboarding. I only, I've, I've only done long distance, but point being like you know it doesn't matter for just using them as a as a case as a case study but it doesn't matter like what level you're at you can have like a million followers on tiktok or some shit or like you can be just starting out like everyone is like trying to help each other out like i had people come up to me and try and teach me and they have like they're like so famous but they have they're so grounded and so humble and they just want to like learn the craft together there isn't this pretentiousness about it you know and i feel like it's important to have that sort of community here it's the pretentiousness. That, that's the thing that I never liked. I never liked the idea of pretentiousness and also um, um, unilateral judgments of what, quote unquote, quality of work was. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just stuff I hated. I hated, like, I still hate, like, the um, the 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 oversaturation or just the prevalence of a Eurocentric vision that kind of shuts out what people of color with other ideas and other modes of communication want to bring to the table. And mm-hmm. that's always been the the creative thing that I've actively been pushing against. And I understand that I also realized I work for, and I have worked previously for firms that are European, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, I, but it's, but it's something that I think we as a community and a creative community as a whole are, are acknowledging openly. It's like, there's, there's more out there and it's not, mm-hmm. It's not meant to be um, it's this way or the highway and, and we don't have to put qualifiers on work that comes from specific cultures. It's like, no, there's there's validity in all of it. Yeah. And I honestly, that's what I really loved about the colorful grant because I saw I never I, I saw all these different um, creators of color and their work. And I was like, holy crap, I would never have known about them if not for the colorful grant. Like you just go down the list and you're like discovering all these amazing creators. Yeah, who are not... it's like fire, fire, fire. Yeah, fire. yeah, legit. And they're not they, they, don't, they don't live in L.A. or New York or Brooklyn or whatever, but they but they they're there. You know, they're just across the other end of the globe. And like it's incredible to be able to connect with them because of the colorful brand like i feel like you created something so special honestly oh thank you danica god you're you're (laughs) making my heart feel really full on saturday yeah for sure yeah Yeah. um but yes awesome well you know what this has been such a great conversation i want to say thank you for making the time i know you're gonna jump on a on a long plane ride tomorrow yes i am yeah so and uh I think you should come to New York. Just saying, just let me know if you come. It'd be great. It'd be great to catch up IRL. But uh, I would love for you to tell our listeners uh, where you could, where they can find you, and also anything that you have coming up soon. For sure, yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Danica Tandichin. You can also feel free to email me, guys, if anyone has any questions. Like, I'm always down to give advice. I feel I understand what it's like to be thrown in like a a country or like a, a situation where you don't know anything or anyone and you need some guidance. Like I've had to reach out to strangers and have, they've been kind enough to w- bestow like their wisdom onto me and I want to do the same. So like, feel free to reach out to me in my email. Um, I'm sure it will be, you can edit onto like the podcast um, in, the, in the Instagram caption, Danica Leachin at gmail.com. 
Um, and yeah, I'm I'm gonna be working on some exciting things in the coming months. Um, might be a title sequence coming up. There might be um, yeah, then my music video, uh, punk, my punk rock music, punk rock music video will probably be coming out um, early next early next year, hopefully. Um, but yeah, there's there's gonna be some exciting things in the works. Awesome! Can't wait to check it out. Title sequence, ooh, very exciting yeah i haven't been back in the title sequence game for about a year and a half so i'm excited to get back into it dope there's so much content out there danica thank you thank you thank you so much it was really fun super fun bye all right bye see you soon thanks danica for showing up today that was so good so much fun Rarely do we ever extend the conversation past the hour, but it just felt like it was the right time to do it. So shout out to her for coming through. And shout out to you, the listener. You can find the First Generation Burn podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes if you want to get caught up. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden, one word. And you can find me, your host, at rich underscore t on most social media platforms. Thanks to Timothy Simpson for production. Shout out to Gym Class Heroes. Thanks, Tim. Thanks to the Desjin team for their support. Thanks to Eugenia Mello, who illustrated our cover art. Thank you, the listener, for always checking us out. We drop new episodes on Mondays. New episode next week. Be safe, everyone. Bye. <laughs>